Hi, I'm Afton. And I'm Anna. And this is Grit, a podcast on the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Join us in proclaiming what it means to be girls raising the South. Mm-hmm. So let's get gritty. <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> Who's on a regular schedule and's got two thumbs up? Us. Us. That's right. Thank you, Anna. All right. Griddles. It's that time of the month again. Oh. Mm, not quite. Not. <laughs> I take that back. I take that back. Well, just we'll dig into the to the updates. Deep in a congressional primary that has really just I'm I'm loving I'm loving it. Uh, Keita Haynes, she is up against incumbent Jim Cooper, who's been in power for 23 years. But if you count his familial history more than a generation. <laughs> uh, his dad was a former governor of Tennessee. His brother is the current Nashville mayor. And I will fight anyone who believes that a, two brothers sh- should represent Middle Tennessee. Fight me. Just fight me. Uh, <laughs> anyways, Keita um, is a public defender, a former public defender. Uh, she was arrested when she was very young and served three years in federal penitentiary. And if elected to Congress, she would be the first congressperson to have been in prison. Most of them should be for insider training. Anyway, so I picked up a yard sign uh, to to put in front of Chris Chris's house. It's very peculiar about yard signs. And uh, I walked up to the table at Dark, Dark Matter? Dark Meter? It's in our neighborhood. Dark Matter. Yeah. Dark Matter, yeah. And the woman, and I scribbled my name down, she goes, ooh, after? I said, Yes, and she's like, "Oh, you you're angry at people on Twitter." And I it was the best compliment yeah. I could have received all day. I was I was beaming. I was walking on cloud cloud 9, cloud 10 the whole day. It felt felt very good. Um other updates, so Anna entrust, trusted me to watch her nuggets, mm-hmm. uh, Winston and Toby. And there was a bit of kerf- a bit of a kerfuffle at the beginning. Uh, I didn't know that they were that they could be outside for an extended amount of time, so I let them out. I got sidetracked with Twitter. <laughs> Couldn't find them. Freaked out. Uh, I was running the neighborhood, yelling their names. Uh, I had like a little bowl, like a like a like a popper with coins with cat food, just. You know, <laughs> making noise, trying to trying to pull them out of their 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 dark hiding spots. Um, and so eventually, I was so sweaty and exhausted that I gave up. And that's when I called Anna because I really didn't want to bother her while she was gone. Uh, and I called her, and she said, "Oh yeah, they can be outside for as long as they want." <laughs> Yeah, sorry about that little. That, that little wasn't detail. in the home manual for uh, Winston and Toby. So thanks a lot, Anna. Well, they don't go far, and um, I didn't know that. they complain enough to be let out that we just let them out when they. Well, when they now want I to. know. Yeah. Now I know. What well, are your thank updates? You, thank you so much You're for welcome. watching them. I can't believe I hadn't thought of that before, but I guess you give me. You usually are traveling. Manual. You're usually traveling so much that I haven't thought of you. I don't think they liked me as their babysitter because <laughs> every time I'd come in, I'd say hello, nooks, and then I'd go up and squeeze them. And as my boyfriend rightfully points out, cats don't like to be squeezed. Yeah, it might have to do with the time Frankie came with you. And they might still associate you with the fact that a pug was in our house chasing them (laughs) in their safe space. (laughs) They were being terrorized by a a tall pug. Um, Yeah, so updates with me. I have seen family lately, and so that's been really good. Probably going to go home in the next few weeks again, safely, of course, but... Um, missing friends and missing family and want to be able to spend time with them. Um, I'm working from home for the foreseeable future. As we all are. Yeah. Al- well, Alex is back in the office. Um, oh, that sucks. Yeah, he's been back for three weeks, I think. So uh. it's just really interesting to be home alone and, like, really alone. Yeah, we should have a co-office together. Yeah. <laughs> If you can see how uh, Anna's face looks right now. Maybe, like, one day a week or something. Okay. I um, watched, like, eight episodes of Sweet Magnolias today on Netflix. I have no idea what that so, is. So, it's just, like, a really cheesy, fake southern accent show. Very, very cheesy, but it's easy to watch while you're trying to get work done. But, yeah, I've just been working hard. And 
have met a new friend out and about in the neighborhood. A little orange puppy cat. Um, I'm calling him Tommy as in Tomcat. And he is so friendly. And I'm not supposed to touch him because Alex really doesn't want another cat. <laughs> How chonky is it? He is huge. Like, <gasps> massive. Big boy. Big, big boy. Oh, it's my drug. <laughs> it's my drug. Chonky cancer, my drug. And we're the cat people, like, on the streets that we've had neighbors ask us, like, is he our cat? Because we also have two huge orange boys, but they're more athletic and kind of... The amount of, ch- of tabby, chonky tabbiness in mm-hmm. our lives is, is very high. Yeah. And I it, appreciate it. It um, brings me great joy, but I will say I'm going on a walk. I'm doing air quotes. <laughs> I'll say I'm going on a walk, and I'm really looking for Tommy because I, like, really want to pet him. Okay, next time you're going to call me, right? Yeah, so now the, I have to call Afton. And I have to say this is the best part of living down the street because, so during our, our inaugural debut on The Holler, Anna... Anna and I are not nar- not narc- we are not narcissists, although my mom would probably disagree. However, <laughs> we do not like self-promotion. And so mm-hmm. it's very difficult for us to be posting about our podcast because we love seeing each other. We love the content. Um, but I had to physically get into the car, drive over, and force Anna to post on Instagram about grits. I, after the holler announcement, I was literally, like, sick to my stomach. I barely slept. Like, I went to sleep at, like, 2 and woke up at, like, 6. And I'm sitting in my office with the door closed on a Saturday. And and Alex's like, what are you doing? Like, why are you in there? And you were just, you were just, what, I was in a, like, stress spiral. Like, I couldn't even, like. Stress sweats. Were you sweating? Yeah. I, like, saw the tweet and I, like, poured sweat. And I was, like, almost in tears, just sick to my stomach. And Afton comes to my house, she texts me, and she's like, I'm coming over right now. I'm like, okay. Even more stress, stressed was. Like, ah. And she took my phone and forced me to post on Instagram. With her sister. Her sister had to be present because I said, Avery, if you're not, if you're not here for accountability partner, what are you even doing? It gives me so much anxiety to put myself out there and to post on social media at all. Like, I just have this, like, block about it. I think That's because why you have a loud best friend. I get, like, so many... Um, of those like time hop type things or like flashbacks <laughs> on like Facebook and they're like old posts and it's like you know back when it was like your name and then it'd be like you would just type the rest of the sentence so your name would be the top of your profile and you would say like is having a good time winky face like and it's just like and you don't want people you, you don't want people around your social media platforms at all to see things like that or it's what? more like it doesn't age well in my mind. Oh, so you don't think grits is going to age well? <laughs> grits is like a fine wine, a fine pineapple To me, wine. it's one moment in time. Like, even since our last podcast, like, there was a little bit of a delay between us recording it and then... Um, and then releasing it. And I'm, I'm like, a constant learner, I guess. And that can... Same. That can verge into the second-guessing myself a lot. But you don't go... You don't... You don't spiral into stress sweats. You just realize you're a learner. If anyone and, has and confidence tips, <laughs> medications, uh, CBD, essential oils, any recommendations that you can have for me, ibuprofen makes me sick to my stomach, so that tells you my tolerance for <laughs> for heavy duty stuff. But if you are a therapist and have a PhD, please contact gritspodcast at gmail dot com. Thank you. I'm looking for any and all tips to not have crippling self doubt and insecurity. <laughs> All right. That's my personal on, on that note, on that <laughs> note. Uh, so today's episode, we're really lucky. Uh, you know, Anna and I and our in our work, as well as just in this moment in history, it's the Black Lives Matter movement, especially with the recent uh, murder of George Floyd and the and the uh, city uprisings. That it's it's really been a moment to reflect uh, and introspect about our childhoods and and growing up um, and how we have have come this far and where we are in our in our personal um, trajectories of anti-racist work. So um, yeah, I I think it's it's just been it's been emotionally exhausting. It really has because I feel like 
you have so much regret of things you could have done. You have you hold so much guilt. White guilt is a real thing. But I think moving forward, there's only you can only move forward. You can only go forward, and you can only learn and do better. And so, Anna, do you? I'm curious about your like what type of revelations or things that have happened since um, we had our last we recorded our last episode um, in the past few months if anything is yeah I've been working through a lot as far as just personal transgressions as you said like moments where you could have said something moments where you said the wrong thing moments where you acted inappropriately and I as anyone who knew me in high school would say, like, I was by far the most outspokenly liberal, pro-Obama, like, <laughs> like you know, I, I found an old tweet of mine that was, like, to all the people in high school who thought I was Stalin, like, I'm actually, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually, sorry. like, I took what? a test and I was, like, 60% conservative and 40% liberal, and this is, like, at the very beginning of college, and I've definitely gotten more liberal now, but I was treated like I was, like, scum scum like as far as my beliefs and argued with friends and was heckled and and totally beaten down by people's family members and so I've always identified very strongly with being liberal and part of that I thought was being colorblind Mm. or not even colorblind but more so like just loving and accepting and understanding that how the system worked I actually thought that I did back then and like now thinking back on some of the things that I would say mostly to fit in but also just out of ignorance and I even in college brought a lot of that because I was so out of my element and you just like stick so much further to your identity when you're in a situation where you're like put out of your comfort zone and so yeah just going to college away from home like I maybe reverted back to things that I felt like were part of my identity, but, but now I realize were problematic. Um, I, I, I mean, that could be as seemingly naive as like the way I dressed and the way I presented myself, you know, and just this Southern bell kind of aura (laughs) that I tried to cultivate. I was in a sorority. Like, I, like, I, I mean, it's funny now because folks I work with and in the, they're like, you were in a sorority. I lived in the sorority house. Yeah. I mean, what a staple of white supremacy and Southern sororities. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So we're, yeah. Yeah. So there was, there's a lot of work that I did and there's a lot of work that I'm still doing. I'm trying to read and listen as much as I can. And I felt this immediate impulse to start talking when everything started happening or else I was going to look bad. And I've realized now that that's not really what it's about and that there are so many other issues in my interpersonal relationships that I won't get into that many details on. But your sphere of influence, like there, there's a wide sphere and how many Facebook friends you have, but there's the deep, close sphere of your, of the people who care about and love you that you can have harder conversations with. And I'm really trying to, to dig in there and question myself in my work and in my interpersonal relationships. What about you? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, as, as you said, we, I think you and I in a way we're similar, we both possess learner attitudes. And I think we're very humble in a way that we're always willing to bow down to learning and, and becoming better people and humans. And as you'll hear in the interview, uh, in a few moments, um, this, the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, I've been, I've been thinking about my childhood, my adolescence, my college career, uh, and what's led me to be involved in progressive politics and be, and to be a champion for, you know, for example, candidates of color. I hope that this moment in time has prompted introspection for all, for everyone, um, in a way that you become... a a better accomplice um, for people of color. I went to a high school in East Tennessee that was incredibly problematic, and I didn't realize how much until I spoke with Trey Waters. Um, And with that, we'll, we'll go to the interview. 
Okay, well, uh, I'm incredibly excited and and humbled as a, a griddle uh, to introduce uh, Trey Waters, who went to school at Webb with me. He was a few grades under uh, myself. And Trey, I don't know, I, I don't know what you remember about me in high school, but I, I remember you just you were so bubbly and kind to everyone you met. And I just, you know, I remember the halls, the hallways were small and we were, you know, we'd run in and out. And I just, I just remember always just a, a package of energy floating around you, if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I definitely, yeah, I mean, I, I, you were a little bit older, so our interactions were kind of limited, but I, I think, uh, I was probably very hard to miss. Uh, <laughs> well, I would like to start by uh, telling our audience, you know, setting the context for uh, this conversation and how we ended up being connected uh, through a series of events. A few weeks ago, I received an email from a, a high school peer who shall remain nameless, name, nameless, he sent me an email saying, have you seen this? And linked within the email was a petition that alumni of Webb signed uh, asking our high school administration to, for, uh, to make more commitments to, anti, to be an anti-racist institution. I, you know, there ended up being a lot of co-signers. Uh, I saw names that yeah, I haven't seen since I've graduated, which is more than a decade ago. Oh gosh, that reveals that reveals my age. <laughs> so after the petition circulate was was circulated, you know, tons of signees, two young women who had graduated from Webb, uh, decided to hold a town hall. And the town hall was an effort to for people who had signed the letter, parents, former teachers, uh, my classmates, to discuss their time at the high school and what they foresee or, or what they wanted to see come of the petition and the demands that we had made to the administration. And so the letter had been sent to the headmaster with with an ask to attend this town hall. They ended up declining. They did they did not participate. Uh, but during the town hall, I heard uh, Trey, who is on the call, speak up about his experience at, at our high school. And if you, you know, if you follow our podcast, Anna and I talk every episode and it's it's woven within our our content and it's our theme. But we, we do we want to make sure that our our content is through the lens of, of a racial of racial equity. And so when I I remember rushing into we actually recorded the night of the town hall and I rushed into Anna's house and I was furious and Trey, you know, I, I know we haven't talked in a decade, but, um, for those that know me, you know, I'm always angry. I'm always angry tweeting. I'm always angry on Instagram. I'm, I'm angry. I'm furious. I'm fuming. I'm, I'm, you know, and I, I was furious. And I don't know if you remember that Anna, mm -hmm. but I said, I, I can't believe the experiences. I, I knew things were happening and I knew, you know, and one, I have a really bad memory, so I can't recall certain certain instances. But, you know, personally, I remember during an election cycle that my locker was keyed. I think I had a, a, a banner that said pray for a secular nation and my locker was keyed. And this is this high school, I will say, is for those of you who don't know, it's a it's a private prep school. In East Tennessee, uh, former governor's children have uh, they attended the institution. But in my mind, it's notorious for a lot of the issues that I am fighting against now: uh, classism, ableism, racism, and not only, you know. And I, I can't imagine the internal dyna dynamics right now, but you know, it, it's notorious for this, and it has been for a very long time. Trey, I, I'll just, you know, hand it to you. I'd love to hear, you know, how, I guess, how you got to web and then, you know, yeah, I'll just, I'll leave it here. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and I appreciate that, that opening, but, um, so the way that, um, that I actually ended up at web, uh, I don't know if you remember, uh, Mr. Candela, but his mm. kids went to Webb. He was um, a wrestling coach for the pilot program, and pilot was like a, uh, what's the word, maybe like a funnel program into Webb. So um, all of the sports teams, you know, they had their pilot football, their pilot wrestling, uh, and usually they would, you know, you'd start with that that team, and then they ran the same program or the same uh, plays, and 
uh, same structure as the high school so that by the time you kind of went through it and got ready to go to middle school and high school, you already were prepared. And most of the kids that were in pilot um, ended up going into web. So that's kind of how that worked mm. out. Uh, so I was actually recruited for wrestling to come to web. Uh, I remember the process uh, like it was yesterday of having to go. My mom literally having to go to the school. I went to, um, I was at Carnes Elementary at the time, but she would have to go to the school, um, get a bunch of references. I remember the teachers spending hours and hours on just whatever it was that they were required to fill out. I had to take a, um, a test. I had to do a bunch of stuff that I'm not really quite sure. I don't know if everybody had to do that or not. I've never really had that conversation, so maybe you can tell me if that's something you had to do. Anyways, that's kind of how I ended up at Web. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that... Uh, you know, the really important thing for people to understand is web represents a bigger, bigger thing here, um, mm. because like you mentioned, there's a lot of power um, that, you know, powerful people that their kids, they go to web and Knoxville being an old money town the way that it is and money not really it doesn't you know there's not a lot of new money in Knoxville. It's very <laughs> right. traditional set in its roots. And so um I think a lot of the things that go on in web are very similar to the things that go on just every day for people in the community. You know, for me, it was really rough at, you know, just coming of age, being mixed at that without getting into too much background. My, uh, my dad is black. My mother's white. My dad has been in and out of prison a lot of my life, um, for nonviolent things, uh, drug related, but, um, it, you know, it is what it is. But, uh, you know, going through those things just as a black male, uh, being in a school where no one looks like you, no one, you know, I didn't come from money. Um, you know, first time I ever rode on a jet ski or rode on a boat or saw the beach and a lot of things that a lot, you know, is normal to most people. A lot of these things came from, from web. I, you know, my dad didn't teach me how to tie a tie. I learned from one of the white teachers. And so just having those, you know, experiences and, and, really breaking down the psyche of, of what's going on already as a teen going through puberty and, um, you know, trying to discover yourself, but then being thrown into an environment, <clears throat> which I think was really important. We talked about, uh, we slightly addressed it in the town hall, but I think it's important to understand that, you know, when you are put into an environment and you don't understand the environment that you're being placed in, and you don't come from that environment and no one really helps you, um, you know, really wrap your mind around what's going on. And then you also have the normal things that normal middle school and high school kids yeah. go through. It can do a lot of damage to you subconsciously that you don't really realize is happening at the time. And then, you know, you go 10 years down the road and you look back and you're like, well, damn, that those experiences really changed and molded the way that, that I am as a, as a, an adult, you know? Um, I think that's what we were really trying to get at is like, you know, not only do we need, obviously because we're in 2020, do we need people to everybody to be treated, you, you know, humane, but we also need to take accountability for what, what we're doing here. You know, you can't, um, and we talked about this on my podcast, uh, briefly, but we had a discussion about, were black people better off um, during seg or you know during segregated times? Mm -hmm. And I, I I honestly said yes. And it's not to say I want us all segregated, but you know what we had during that time, um, all of our, all of our money was was within the black community. We weren't allowed to spend with white people, you know. So we were able to to recirculate our money within our community and help each other. And then when we were you know, once segregation happened, um, all of our neighbor, nothing, we didn't own anything. We didn't have any, you know, anything in the neighborhood to own. So all of our money's just being funneled out and this, that, and the other. And so we're not, we weren't prepared. And I think it's the same thing kind of, um, at web, you know, being brought there and, you know, walking down the hallway and not seeing anybody that looks like you going into a classroom and being the only black person, um, the word nigger being a, a an everyday word and kind of getting immune to it, just different things of that nature. You, uh, you just don't really understand what's going on. And I think that's really dangerous, but I'll let you, uh, I'll let you guys. 
No, yeah. You know, looking back, it was so it was so problematic, Trey. I mean, I like. I forget the story you told. You told a story at the town hall about your mom and um, the former headmaster. Mm, yeah. So I can. Uh, so to go in a little, little bit more depth on that story. So what had happened was um, David Meski, who is the athletic director and the head football coach, his daughter was in my grade. And I guess she had lost one of her books. I don't really, you know, I I mean, I guess that's what happened. That's what they told me. But anyways, um, it was a very common thing in middle school. This was in middle school to go to Lost and Found. And if you lost a book or something, you just grab a book. Right, right. You know what I mean? It was very common. Everybody did it. So at the beginning of the year, I grabbed a book from Lost and Found. And um, this was my eighth grade year. Grabbed a book from Lost and Found. Used that book all year. Anyways, we go to turn the book in at the bookstore, and it comes back. It's Devin Meskey's book. Um, and so I get called in to the uh, Clark Wormsley, who's the headmaster or the dean at the time. He was uh, he calls me into the office, and you know he's upset and. You know, basically, they're accusing me of stealing this book. Clark wasn't really accusing me, but that was kind of just, I think, coming down from higher up. Mm. Um, and so anyways, uh, the, the last day of school, actually, it was after school. Take that back. It was right after we had let out for the summer. Um, I, my, myself and my mother were brought into uh, the count, guidance counselor's office where Scott Hutchinson was. And he basically just ripped into me in front of my mom to the point to where my mother made me leave. And later told me that he cussed at her, was pretty hostile with her, um, very rude. But um, basically what they ended up doing was they made me for a week straight clean out every single locker. And you know how people would draw on the lockers, this, that, and the other. And thank God for the two, I forget their names now, and I wish I could remember, but the two janitors, um, there was a white lady and I believe a Korean lady. I could have her yeah. in. I could have it wrong, but I know you'll remember. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they were so sweet to me because, I, I mean, you're cleaning these lockers with these chemicals and your head's in there all day. And so I developed a, a migraine for from, you know, just inhaling all these chemicals that I was inhaling in the, in the locker. And they uh, they gave me a break. But I had to spend a week after school cleaning lockers for a book that I apparently stolen. Um, well, that was just one incident. Um, you know, I, I dealt with a lot of a lot of different things from, you know, not being invited to parties from, I remember specifically, um, and I, to this day, I don't know if I'm the only person that's ever gotten in a fight at Webb or not. And I'm not proud of that. However, um, it was in middle school, eighth grade as well. And we had gotten to the game, the high school football game and a bunch of friends who I won't mention their names, but a bunch of the, my friends had come and told me and they were all amped up and they were like hey this guy just called you a nigger and so i spent the entire game trying to find this kid and and, and ask him about it and confront him and again you know i was always told to stand up for yourself and you know i never was okay with that um you know being called out of my name which happened a lot and you know unfortunately you can't just fight everybody which i learned um the hard way but anyways found the kid and we ended up getting into a to a little scuffle or whatever and um you know whether he said it or not was kind of it was kind of irrelevant that was just kind of uh the culture that i was in you know it was all the time and right. i started to realize that like we'd go to parties and they'd be like oh he called you the n-word and i would like i finally started to realize like why would he just this random person just say that and so that kind of uh, that was something that I that I definitely saw a lot, and I started to kind of understand. Okay, there. Well, I don't know why, but there's some kind of game that they're playing, um, where they that this is entertaining to them. And I think also, it's interesting because I wasn't the only black person there, and I know I wasn't the only one that went through things. Um, my two best friends in my grade were black, uh, but I do know the difference with the way that we were treated a lot of times. Um, happened to do with kind of status and then how you right. acted if you know what i mean so, oh you mean trade the the uniform didn't put us all in the same status <laughs> like you would think so you would think so um i wish it did i mean that was the bolt that was the bullshit platitude that they would use like oh everyone right. no one can tell like ugh. right no i mean it's and i don't like to i don't i don't like i'm, I'm probably gonna word this wrong um but 
you know, when you fit into a certain criteria, and I mentioned it during the town hall, you know, there's, you're going to, you're, of course, you're going to invite a Marjorie Butler back to Webb. Who wouldn't? Marjorie's amazing. You know what I mean? And, and she's always been that way. But what about somebody like me who I live in an apartment, thousand square feet? You know, I've got a kid out of wedlock. Um, I don't make a hundred grand a year. You know, I don't, uh, not to say I won't eventually, but that's just where it is right now. But you would never, they would never think to invite me. And it, I think it's the same kind of environment just there as kids too, you know? Yeah. Um, it's one thing if you're a hell of an athlete or you, you contributing to state championships or whatever, then you're going to be, you're going to get invited to those things. The parents are going to want to, you know, buddy, buddy up with you too. And everybody's going to want to make you feel good. But as soon as you're out of that, you know, out of you're not benefiting and giving them championships anymore. You don't hear from those people unless you can still fit into that circle. And I don't fit into the country club circle. That's mm. I never have. Um, I don't imagine that I ever will. That's just my personality. But that doesn't mean, you know, I should be treated differently or we couldn't still be friends or get along um, or, you know, that I can't offer you some kind of value. And I think that's what I felt the most just and it was obvious the whole time i mean i don't let's see you were there for my sophomore chapel talk maybe i believe maybe I don't yeah, yeah 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 that was that was can you tell can you give a little for those that didn't go to our secular private school what's a chapel talk and, and what yours was about yeah so our chapel talk sophomore year we had to do a chapel talk and then senior year we had to do a chapel talk and it's a uh you know, from I think sophomore year is like five minutes or so, and mm -hmm. then senior year is a little bit longer. But it's in front of the entire school, um, the entire student body, all the teachers, um, and you can talk about anything that you want. And I chose to my sophomore year talk about my experience um, dealing with racism at Webb, and it was a hundred percent like it was dead split down the middle, fifty fifty reactions from teachers oh. to students i mean it was literally 50 50 i had 50 percent of the people that were like wow we love that can't believe that that's going on and they really respected it and i even had I, to the extent um i cannot remember her name but she was a um what did she teach i don't even remember what she taught but she was from Germ uh, germany and she literally pulled me aside after class this was right after my uh, chapel talk pulled me aside and went got to tears oh. but basically went I mean, straight up went off on me about my chapel talk and how how dare I make uh, make her or anybody say um, that she was from Germany and she saw real racism. <gasps> and the fact that I made her sit through that oh. was insulting to her and everybody. I mean, it was it was ridiculous. Um, I ended up having to go be it got handled. But, um, you know, me as a sophomore, 15, 16 year old student, I should never no grown person. No. Should ever, tell me that what I'm saying is is not valid or I, I, sh I shouldn't make you sit through that. I mean, I didn't make anybody sit through that. Anybody was welcome to get up and leave if they felt some type of way. Um, now, my senior chapel talk, you weren't there no. for, obviously, but um, that one was more of a um, more of a full circle chapel talk. It, it, you know, it was about my experiences and kind of breaking the cycle of what most men black men go through in america and the cycle that i'm going through that my dad went through and, and just breaking free of that um still addressed race very heavily but it was less of calling out specific incidences and calling out more of a system um so that obviously gained uh, people really love that one but there was there was really no hate in that one because i wasn't calling anybody specifically mm. out um so trey i just i just wonder you know i think when you're children, it's also difficult to figure out where the accountability is and how you get it. And I just remember, you know, because my brother was bullied, I was bullied, you know, Hutchison pulled pulled fast moves, you know, pulled things on me when it came to uh, playing soccer. And, and I just... Like, I know my parents were always seeking accountability. Like, they always wanted, they were like, well, we're going to go to the headmaster. And there just wasn't any because they're beholden to the donor class and these families that give them, you know, Boku, Boku dollar, generational wealth. Um, and, and there's no introspection as to how we can be a better institution. And I think my question for you would be, you know, what did accountability look like? I mean, we don't even have to revisit that, but what does accountability look like now, especially, I think, 
on the heels of this town hall and the reaction from the administration that they're really not leaning into what we're saying and they're not doing anything to, to reconcile what's happened. So I guess, you know, as, as a student at Webb, like what, what does reconciliation um, and accountability look like for you in this moment? Um, that's, a, that's a good question. I, as I said in the town hall, for me, it is, I don't, I don't want a letter. I don't want to, I don't want to talk about it anymore unless you're willing to talk to me and come see me or let me see you. Um, and then let me, let me, if I'm willing, if I'm sitting here and I'm telling you I, I was a victim of certain things and I'm willing to put myself back into that institution and back into that, that environment and, and lend a helping hand or offer a pen, you know, options or give you solutions to different things, then I think that it's your duty and responsibility to, to, you know, if you don't want me around, at least find somebody that, that, uh, is not again, you know, fitting the standard, you know, go, go, go to the community, go to, go to people that are really down in the forefront in the trenches that, that know what's really going on. Don't, don't just go find the, you know, in lack of a better term, the house nigga that's going to tell you what you want to hear. Go, go find the one that's going to tell you the hard truth and find some solutions, you know, and, and one thing about web and we, we've, we've already mentioned it, but it is old money and, you know, a lot of power there, a lot of, this is Knoxville, basically, but the power players in Knoxville, their kids usually go to web. And so, you know, it's, it's a bigger thing than just web, you know, it, 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 they web and Knoxville, they coincide, you know? Um, and so I, I feel like, again, you know, let, let's stop talking about stuff. Let's stop turning the shoulder. Let's stop pretending like things don't happen um, because they do. Racism is very real. And if you don't fix it at the bottom, which is it starts with your kids, you know, um, it's just going to continue to happen. And so I think it's really, really important that there's those conversations are had, those tough conversations. I, you know, I was talking to my friend um, that I do the podcast with and you know, he knows me very well. And so we've discussed a lot of things in depth um, from web just to life things. And so when I told him that I only talked and they actually listened to the entire town hall, but before they listened to it, I was like, when you listen to this, you're going to be amazed at how shocked these white people are. He's white himself, um, but you're going to be amazed at how shocked these white people are from the four minutes of conversation that I had. Cause the stuff I said was very mild compared to the things that I've been through and that I went through at web, yeah. but they're so shocked. And I was like, and he was like, after he watched it, he was like, dude, I, I can't believe that they're really that shocked that somebody called you the N word or that a school like that would be kind of racist, you know? And, and that's a big problem too. Um, and I think that, you know, it really starts with the parents and them taking accountability and teaching their kids the right way. Um, I liked when you guys in your, your gentrification podcast, were talking about, you know, you're, I don't know if you're, the only white girls on the block, but it sounded, <laughs> it sounded like it, um, at least for the most part, outside of the neighbors who called the cops. But, um, you know, being being around that, that diversity, you get so used to it. And it's amazing. The mm. first time I went to Atlanta, it was the first time I realized how used to that I was. Because I was sitting in the car and I was at, the, at a red light and I looked around and it was all black people. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time in my life that I had been at a red light where it was all black people wow. around me. There wasn't a white person in sight and it threw me all the way off. But I think that's dangerous too. You know, when, when you get used to stuff like that and then you get into an, a situation that's not favorable for you, right. you know, you're, not pre- you're not prepared. You know what I mean? You're not you're not ready because you're still thinking, oh, well, you know, I'm used to all these white people around me and it's just comfortable and safe. No. See, the thing about that is I'm I'm biracial, but I'm always going to be black. I can never, ever put the white card on. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I can never do it. Even though I'm 50 percent white, I can never use it. I'm always going to be black. And so understanding your environment situation. And again, I think that's a, a and I know I kind of went way off on. what. No, you no, no, no. Um but I think it's very important for the parents to, to first hold themselves accountable um, because it is their children that are in that environment. And, you know, 
you're the ones supposed to be teaching your kids and they're going to learn from you you know that usually their political beliefs are yours they're a lot of the ideas they throw around during school days come from things they heard from you so the parents have to be accountable first um obviously web has to do a better job at holding themselves accountable um but i think the parents can make the biggest difference because they're the ones that that donate the money you know and keep it if, open yeah. yeah yeah that was a long-winded answer no, was, <laughs> <laughs> my job in progressive politics and especially as governor haslam was nearing you know his tenure um as as our governor i think it's really shocking for them especially since i've returned home that someone from web would be in progressive politics to the extent that I am and just calling them out on a consistent basis. Trey, it makes them so incredibly uncomfortable. It makes them so uncomfortable. And I really like after listening to you and I just like I'm in tears, just I'm just so overwhelmed with gratitude for you and for you telling your story. But the reason I am the way that I am is because of web, because I saw the injustice and the class warfare that was happening in front of me and it just made me irate and as I said from the beginning you know revisiting the beginning of the podcast I'm always angry and a lot of that just stems from seeing all of this day in and day out and you know I lived I lived in Cedar Bluff I didn't live in Sequoia Hills and so even though you know I was white obviously not even to the extent that you endured but you know, I, it, it was just, it was all the time and they protected this, this, these families and made sure that, you know, they were only beholden to certain people that gave money. You know, at the end of the day, I, I don't know if web can be reformed as an institution. Right. No, I, I, I completely agree. Um, I can give you a specific example, um, which actually happened several times. Um, I have no criminal record. I'll just put that out there before I give this example. However, that may not be the case had I been, had I not been, and I will not name who it is, but had I not been with said person's um, child who has a lot of money and a lot of pool. And there were two different occasions um, where we got in trouble for doing something we shouldn't have been doing. And on both occasions, now, if I'm, and I promise you, had I been with just about anybody else or any of my family or alone, there would have been no phone calls made, nothing. It would have been straight to jail. You messed up. You got to deal with the consequences. However, I was with this kid, went to web, um, and as soon as they ran his plates, they didn't call uh, call for backup or do anything like that. They called his grandfather. His grandfather showed up on the scene. Wow. Um, the second time that this happened, um, well, not this, so we, uh, long story short, there was a fight that happened, and I wasn't actually involved in the fight, but I was, my car was on the scene. And so they had my license plate. Um, my lawyer told me not to say anything to this investigator. Long story short, they put out a bench warrant for all of us. And so they actually, and I'm actually, far as I know, also the first person to ever be picked up from web, um, and taken to jail. So, um, uh, Scott or coach Meski, excuse me, comes and gets me out of class and, they take me down to the bottom parking lot and there's a cop there and they say, well, there's a warrant for you because you refused to talk to this investigator and we're going to take you to, you know, to jail and you're going to have to bond out and go through the process. So me and the buddy that same buddy that his granddad was called the last time, um, we both went to jail. I ended up having to change clothes, do all this stuff and go into the holding cell. And I'm sitting there in the holding cell and I watch him. I watched Sheriff JJ, who was JJ. Was mm. the I watched him walk in and my buddy still hasn't changed clothes or anything. Five minutes later, they walk out his arms over him, you know, shoulder. And I'm sitting there just looking like, dude, call my mom or something like what, you know, he walks out with the sheriff, long story short. Um, so to bring, you know, bring it all the way full circle when you're talking about people being protected it's very very real and the reason that you're angry is because you have a right to be angry um and the reason they're so the the response is the way that it is is because you're threatening something that's right. way bigger right. and you know 
you got to be like that sometimes. You got to be that sophomore that's willing to stand up. And even if you're the only black kid there to say, screw this, like, nah, this shit's really, that's how y'all, y'all treat me. And you, you know, that's how we get changed. And that's how we, you know, that's how the Martin Luther Kings, the Malcolm X's, the JFK's like go on and on. Um, but that's how they were. And I think it's very powerful that you're willing to do that. And I, and I think that you should harness that anger the way that you are probably, um, but don't let it go. I would, mm. I would say, don't let it go. But also, just use it in a, in a positive manner. But yeah, you're you're dealing with a beast over there. <laughs> well, Trey, I know I, I don't want to speak for Anna, but this has just been I, I've I have learned so much, and I'm so grateful for your time. And I think you know, un, un, under unfortunate circumstances of what's happened, but just this mass movement and this mass mobilization of people caring at a place that I never thought I would be having this conversation with you. So I know that you, you know, you've got a, a thriving business in, in Chattanooga. So if you want to pull some, do your plugs right now, we, we would love to hear them. <laughs> um, I'm actually not in Chattanooga anymore. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, but famed, it's famed. Um, we do work with Baylor in Chattanooga. Um, we also work with Webb and a few other schools. Um, my podcast is called Segway to Logic. Uh, spelled the, the normal way um, and then uh, I'd like to also give a shout out to Beat the Odds Clothing Company they also have, um, they do a lot of work in the community in Alabama um, they also have a barbershop, they do a lot of charity events for kids um, and I designed some of the some of the clothes, clothing for them So, um, but other than that I'd like to definitely thank you guys for what you're doing um, I look forward to listening to more of your podcast and I really appreciate you guys taking the time to to allow me to speak on my story a little bit. Oh, we're so grateful. And can people follow you on Instagram? I know you've, I, I don't know if yeah. I, I want to offer that to the griddles out there, but. <laughs> yeah, um, so it's Segway to Logic on Instagram. Perfect. Just how it sounds, um, S-E-G-U-E um, to Logic. And then um, my Instagram is waters underscore eternal. The eternal is, um, or the E in eternal is a three. Mm. Um, so if you want to follow that, that's cool too. We'll we'll put all the plugs. We'll we'll have a full tray profile in our in our promotion, so people can follow you. And well, I appreciate it, and thank you guys uh, again. I look forward to uh, to listening to more of your content. So everything I've heard so far is, is spot on, and I'm <laughs> with it. So all right, thanks, thanks Trey. Have a good night. Yeah, you guys as well. All right, bye. Eri, Anna, what are you grateful for? Can you go first? Wow. Wow, balls in my court. I have been, I've had a mental health episode the past few weeks, and I've just been, I was incredibly, incredibly depressed, and I am grateful for all of my friends and family and support network that reached out and continued to reach out even when I refused to answer my phone, which is most of the time. I'm just so grateful for, um, I'm grateful for Trey for giving us his time and energy and telling his story. I'm grateful for the people that have come into my life. Um, I'm just, I'm really, really, really grateful right now. Mm. I'm sorry. So <laughs> uh, okay. Anna, what are you Afton grateful it, for before Afton I start? Is, is bawling while she drinks her red wine. <laughs> I'm grateful for Trey too. I didn't know him before today and for someone to dive in and be so honest and and put himself out there and he doesn't have to do that he didn't have to join the call and speak out and stand against people who he knew probably would have negative reactions and to own your your truth like that and to be able to share it I know it can be draining and um can be scary and so I'm really thankful for him for coming on here and and continuing to continuing the conversation so I hope you tune into his podcast although we have different like orientations as far as like you're so outgoing and like loud and I'm like literally the quietest person in the room <laughs> <Sorry>. always <laughs> I have had a family situation going on and I have had people reach mm. out to me that I never would have thought would reach out and it's just really special to especially in the workspace like where 
people understand that you're not going to be, like, totally on your game. Mm -hmm. As much as you say you're going to be, like, this is a continuing conversation at work of, like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Really, like, I'm fine. I'm always saying that, even though, like, I'm going through this, like, really, really traumatic family event right now. I they're like, it's okay. Like you're not, it's okay to not be okay. And that sounds so cliche and everything, but as someone who has always been in the structure of like wanting to be a straight A student and wanting to be a brown noser and like, it's so good to hear that human side of things where it's not all about accomplishments, but like, I'm a human who's allowed to have a feeling that is negative. That causes me to like watch Netflix all day, which is what I did today. (laughs) Hopefully it's just a season and I'm able to like get out of it and produce for the sake of like my creativity and like my flourishing as a person, but it's okay that I'm not in that place right now. And it's okay that I'm just barely responding to emails and I'm not, it doesn't affect my value. And I think sometimes like, sure, I should be able to get my value from my inner work, but sometimes you need that validation oh, from, yeah. from oh, the yeah. outside and from other people to be like, oh my gosh, it's amazing that you are on this meeting. Like <laughs> you have so much going on. Um, so I just encourage you to reach out to people like me and Afton who you care about. <laughs> Not <laughs> no necessarily pressure. us, but no just, just people in your you life. You don't have to care about us. We know you just come for the content. And I even like wanted to like cancel this even though I never would have but like my first interaction for like everything or my first reaction for everything like this week has been like canceled no not doing it not well, it's going. overwhelming it's yeah. overwhelming the day-to-day like living in a pandemic and the work that we do it's it's incredibly overwhelming and that's why you know, especially when you're in this line of work you just you you inherently understand because you've been there and <laughs> it's it's emotionally crippling it really can be so yeah so please take care of yourself. Yeah, and I yeah I agree that I'm so thankful that I did this and got to see you. And so try to push past that impulse of like being avoidant. I, mm. That's what I call it. Mm. I call it like anxious or avoidant when I'm trying to explain it to people, like how I feel. It's like even though you know that you will feel better that you did something, you just feel so avoidant and well to be fair hurricane afton running through your house at night is you can ask my mom it is it is not the favorite it's not your it's not your favorite thing it energizes me oh and I'll, yeah because i'm not i don't have that i don't have that natural well of energy i'm pretty laid back as anna said i was like anna what's a tattoo that you would ever get? She's like, well, I would never get a tattoo. I was like, well, what would you get? She said, I, you know, I think a sloth. I'm most likely a sloth. I'm like the grandparents in uh, Willy Wonka. Like, I like, am in bed all day long. People are always asking okay, me if I'm sick. Their old, like... No, people always ask me if I'm sick. And I'm like, no, I just like to be in bed. That's like... fair. I never, I, you know, I try not to come over here unless it's very urgent. So now that there's a chonky cat... I need you to post on your Instagram or we're recording. I promise to leave you alone. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, on that note, um, (laughs) hug your chonky cat, squeeze them against their will, and we hope you all have a good night, and we'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Keep it gritty. Bye. Keep it gritty. Bye. Thank you to our griddles and our family at the Tennessee Apollo Podcast Network. Be sure to check out the other podcasters in the network who are doing the Lord's work in the state of Tennessee. Find the good stuff at www.tnholler.com and be sure to subscribe and support the holler while you're there. Follow the holler to keep up with what's going on here in the state at the TN Holler on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And follow Grits at Grits Podcast. Keep, keep it gritty! Bye!